0: Welcome everyone to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition, and I want to welcome everybody who's joining us in from the uh, Zoom app, and if you're coming in from the Zoom app, we want you to add and give us your comments and questions by clicking on that little QA box, and if you're coming in from uh, Stephen's Facebook page, just fill in the comment box there and We'll be gathering all the comments and questions, and we have some very interesting topics—a So a topic this morning. No, I'm sorry, this afternoon, depending on what time zone you're in. But before we get there, I want to say hi to Jeff. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing down there next to?
1: Hi, Drew. You know, I'm just like to be noticed. Thank you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephen. I notice you also. Good to see you, Stephen. How are you
2: doing? I, I, I feel so noted, so noticed.
0: <laughs> Can't leave Scott out. Scott, you're. I, I appreciate also. it. You're here. How are you doing, Scott? <laughs>
3: Since Stephen and Jeff will both like to be noticed, Stephen and Jeff, I notice you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And Jonathan, our webcast engineer, is with us again. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing?
1: I just, uh, I can't help but notice that every week I'm the last one that's noticed.
2: Oh, oh right. <laughs> but I'm the, the last shall be first. There's that's, good news. Well, right.
0: right. it seems like we're in rare form today. So let's see if we can get going into this topic and subject. Um, any other housekeeping? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. You know
1: what? I I will mention something. If anybody who is watching this webcast is here in southeastern Pennsylvania, um, coming up this week, we have a special series um, here in the meeting place of the church in Exton. Mike White from East Orange, New Jersey, is going to be speaking for us on a theme, and the title of the theme is, I think, Climbing the Mountain, something to that effect. And also, Drew, for anybody who's going to be in New York City, you are going to be?
0: In Upper West Manhattan. Uh, yeah. The church that meets there in that hostel. I think it's called the Hostel International. What is
1: that, about 110th in Amsterdam or somewhere around there?
0: It's on Amsterdam Ave on the corner. I think it's the corner of 103rd. 103rd
1: in uh, Amsterdam. Okay.
0: And I'll be there uh, Saturday for three sessions. I'll be talking starting at 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, 1, 2, and 3, and then Sunday at uh, 10.30 and 11.30. And my topic there is proving the resurrection. So and is there a,
1: a website or a phone number that you can give out if people want more information? I know the Upper Manhattan or the West, Upper West has a website. And what is that website? Uh,
0: I'm, I don't want to give in case it's the wrong one. Let's see. It's we'll look it up. Maybe look, the, look it the, up the before website. the program's over, we'll post yeah. that.
1: And if anybody wants information about the series we have at Exton, Pennsylvania, this weekend, it's Friday through Sunday. Uh, Saturday, it's at 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock. Actually, just at 5 o'clock, we have a congregational singing, a cappella singing at 4 o'clock. And that website for that information is going to be extonchurch.org. Um And by the way, I need to make sure that that's on the website. I'm not sure we put that information on the website, so I'll get that done today. Let's,
3: Scott, this would you add something uh, this weekend, I'm going to be in Philadelphia doing a series on parenting on Saturday and Sunday. And Thanks. if anybody's in that area would like to come, if you'll just send an email here to uh, Bible Quest or to me personally uh, or on Facebook Messenger, I'll, I'll get you an address on but that.
0: That's this weekend, Scott, in Philadelphia? <laughs> Boy, that's a pretty good busy weekend for the yeah. guys. Busy weekend. Funny. Okay, yeah, if anybody wanted, drew at biblequest.tv, that's my email address. If you have any questions about any of the programs or anything, you can always email me at that address as well. With that said, thank you for bringing that up, Jeff. I, I didn't think about announcing that. Thank you. So with that said, let's get right into our first question. This comes in from Mike, and he says, in church... His pastor had said Noah had been raped by his youngest son, Ham. I was floored by this. I looked it up, and Bible scholars say the same thing. I'm st- Wow. That's an interesting statement, question. Guys, where do you want to start with that one?
3: Why don't we start with the biblical
2: text? That's a great place to start and, and an important place to start.
0: Exactly.
2: So we're looking at Genesis chapter 9. And starting in verse 18, going through the end of the chapter, is uh, the text in question here. So Genesis 9, we'll start reading in verse 18. And this is after the flood. The sons of Noah, who went forth from the ark, were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces returned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine... And knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant.
0: So before you get started in, in responding, I just wanna invite the audience again. While we're going through this material, if you have questions or other questions that rise up from the discussions and from the scriptures, please don't hesitate. Give us your thoughts, questions, and comments in the text boxes. Okay, guys, go ahead.
3: And I'd just like to throw out here at the beginning, let's do several things. One, look at what the text says. Uh, Also, let's have somebody discuss where this fits in within the history in Genesis and then let's also later talk about speculation and Bible study and let's talk about the use of commentaries in Bible study. But to begin with, let's have somebody start discussing now the text and what we do or don't know from the text.
1: Well, um, the text is, is a little vague. It's very clear in the text the It's interesting as we look at Genesis chapter uh, 9 and verse 18, where it says, Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. Well, Japheth had offspring, Shem had offspring, but it just says Ham was the father of Canaan, as if that's important. And that's setting you up to understand that what this text is really about is Canaan and the curse that's going to be pronounced in regard to Canaan. So we're going to talk about speculation in a, little bit, in, a, in a little bit here, but we might suspect that if all our focus goes to what exactly Ham did, we're probably missing the point. Um, but as we come on down, it says in verse 21, that Noah drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside. And then the other thing that we should notice is verse 24, When Noah woke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. And so the question is, uh, what happened here? And what we know happened is that Ham was in some way disrespectful of his father and that the way he behaved toward his father was different than the way Shem and Japheth uh, acted in this situation. And that Noah was very perturbed with what, Ham had done. Now, there's all sorts of things you might imagine. Um, at, the, at a minimum, uh, he went in and he saw his father naked and apparently uh, was disrespectful about it. Was there more to it or not? We don't know.
2: Yeah, at the beginning of it, it just says, like the text in verse 22 just says, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So just from the text, it sounds like he just saw him. And then that's contrasted with Shem and Japheth walking backwards with the garment, and their faces are turned away. So the text seems to put an emphasis on seeing. But then in verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said. And so that seems to maybe imply something more than just seeing. But again, the text is very vague, and it doesn't give us a lot to go on.
0: Well, the text does say something that he did more than just see him. And you you just read it uh, in verse 22. He saw the naked of his father, and he told his two brothers. So there's two Mm -hmm. things he did.
1: So at a minimum, you you might imagine that what happened was he went in, he saw his father, he came out, and in a disrespectful, in a ridiculing way, oh, dad's in there drunk, you know, again, lying there naked as a jaybird. Um, Is that exactly what happened? I don't know. Uh, Or you might suppose that there was something more that happened. But what becomes important is not exactly what happened, but what Noah says that has to do with Ham's son, Canaan. Because remember, this story begins making a point, Ham was the father of Canaan. And what's going to happen is in about three chapters, God is going to tell the descendant of Abraham of Noah, Abraham, that his descendants are going to get the land of Canaan from the Canaanites who descend from Ham's son.:
0: And so we Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff you, uh oh, I lost my thought. It came and went. Sorry, go ahead, Scott.:
3: <laughs> We also might notice that if, if somebody reads into Saw's father's nakedness and assumes, well, it means this and this and more. It, there's a, there are a lot of biblical texts that give us a minimum of information, and there's more to it that we don't know. In Acts 2, when it says, Peter, with many other words, exhorted them. We know there were many other words, but we don't know what the words are. Um, but if somebody loads too much on this and says, well, it said it's psalm, that's got to mean such and such. Well, look what the brothers did. Jeff has already mentioned the contrast between how he behaved and how his brothers behaved, Shim and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their sh- shoulders, and walked how backward backwards backward and covered the, covered, the, nakedness. the nakedness of their father. their faces were turned backwards, and they did not, not see not see their father's nakedness. Would it say that their other brother had done
2: see he saw the nakedness
3: the opposite. So that may be all there is to this. Uh, all right. So um, his disrespect and the other brother's behavior. Could it be that there was something more? I don't think any of us would say it would be impossible that there was something more. Uh, but this is what the
0: text says. Oh, I know what so, I was going to say, Jeff. Uh, Scott, right. what you just said. So we don't know, but there are there are people who make the statement and claim, and that's what the question was about, right? Yeah. The question was about this is what happened. So, where does that come from?
3: Yeah. So, let's now talk about uh, speculation in well, Bible study. And go ahead, Jeff.
1: Okay. okay. I, I may not be following your your plan for the, for the webcast today. So, if I'm out of line, let me know here. But, did we want to oh, spend no, a little time talking about the curse that's pronounced upon me? Oh, yeah. yeah.
3: Go ahead and finish that.
1: Okay. So, if I, I'll just share a screen real quickly here. Um, and we have, uh, do you see where it says Noah, and then there's three boxes below that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the curse is, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. Here, brother in the generic sense of relatives. So it's talking about his uncles as, as it happens. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, who would be one of Canaan's uncles. Remember, Canaan is the son of Ham. And let Canaan be his servant. And may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So here you have Noah, and he has a son Ham and a son Shem and a Ham-Japheth. And Ham has a son named Canaan. And Canaan has descendants, and they are the Canaanites. And what is going to happen here is Shem is going to have descendants, and they're going to be the Israelites through Abraham. They're going to be the Semitic people. We sometimes talk about anti-Semitism as bias against Jews or Israelites. That's where that language comes from, Shem's name. And then you're going to have Japheth, who is is said, as Japheth dwells in the tents of Shem, then Canaan will also be a servant to Japheth. And obviously, well, that's getting ahead a little bit, but obviously, when it talks about Canaan being a servant of his brother, of his uncle, Shem, that's going to be fulfilled when the Canaanites who descend from Canaan, are conquered, subjugated by the Israelites, and we don't have to take time to do it now, but we could turn over to the book of Joshua, and we could see the Canaanites being conquered, and in some instances becoming slaves to the Israelites. I'll just throw this out for discussion. My, my hunch here is, and maybe this gets into speculation, but that when it says, as Japheth dwells in the tents of, of Shem... The idea there is related to what Paul talks about in Romans 11 and Romans 15, where Gentiles become partakers of the, of the fatness of the root of the olive tree, which represents the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelites. As Gentiles get grafted into that tree, they're partaking of the blessings. They're becoming a part of the Israel of God. Uh, they're partaking of the spiritual things of the Israelites, as Paul says in Romans 15. So my thought here is Japheth here likely represents Gentile nations who, as long as they dwell in the house of God, Israel, then those outside are going to be subjugated to them. But what is definitely clear is this is setting up the promise in Genesis 12 that that the Israelites are going to conquer the Canaanites and dwell in their land.
2: Interesting. So so what you're saying is this is kind of setting the stage for a lot of the biblical history that's going to come after this and the events that will happen later in the book of Genesis and then into the conquest really go back to some of these curses and some of these events that happen in the book of Genesis.
1: Right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So, Jim, cool. Are you
0: saying then that, and Stephen, you're saying then that, that this part of the story is much more important to what we need to know than what speculation we can come about of what happened to Noah.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. It seems like the, the the biblical author, Moses, writing here by God's spirit, doesn't record for us the details of what happened between Noah and Ham. But the details that are given all point us to, hey, this is about Canaan. This is about what's going to happen in the future uh, with Canaan and his descendants and then the other brothers and their descendants.
1: And, and I guess I would say rather than it being... Ham does whatever he does and then God says oh okay then I think this is why I'll work out the rest of the future of the world God has in mind what he's going to do and in this incident he uses this incident as a means of of foreshadowing all of that or foretelling all of that
3: all right uh, now let 's pivot and and some words you used illustrate real well the topic we 're going to turn to now, and that has to do with like speculation and such you 'll notice as Jeff was talking about the text he talked about what was in the text, and then he said, "I have a talking about a phrase used to of uh, the descendants of Japheth he says, "I have a hunch and he said, "I think it's likely and then he came back to but what we know definitely." is this in chapter 12. And that's very helpful. When we're reading a text of Scripture, we may, it may be sometimes helpful to think about what is it? In fact, sometimes to come to a conclusion, you know, you need to think about, well, could it be this? Could it be that? Could it be the other thing? There are some things we simply don't know. What exactly was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Uh, I like to joke that, um, you know, we'll... Get to eternal life and we'll get, Paul, oh, what was it? He said, what was what? What was your thorn in the flesh? It was a thorn in my flesh. No, But what did you mean? I had a thorn in my flesh. <laughs> we didn't have tweezers. <laughs> I had a thorn in my flesh. <laughs> That's what I
2: said. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't think that's really what it was. But in other words, sometimes you can have speculation on things that we're not meant to know and we don't need to know. Other times we can be thinking about and working through, and it's very helpful to think about <clears throat> what's the likelihood that it's this as, as we're considering a passage. But it's helpful in those times to differentiate between what we know the text says and what our hunch or what we think is likely or the evidence is. And that's that makes for a lot more honest discussion and respectful discussion because we're not the inspired writers we're readers and we can come to a false or, or or not conclusion so that's a very helpful way to speak do people always speak that way on matters uh, where there's something maybe a, a, ambiguous or room for speculation no, what are some examples that you've seen uh, maybe it'd be people being quite adamant uh, about things that the text doesn't say
0: well, I think that's where it started because this the the fellow that asked the question, Mike, he was really floored about this, and that's because someone was making that statement that this is what happened.
2: No, this now, is what happened. Well, a couple of just small examples that are more just in our in the popular culture, I guess, are one that Eve ate what in the garden of apple. the apple, right? And then, of course, you know, you get the pictures off of that and all that. But does the text actually say that Eve ate an apple?
3: No, no.
2: No, it says it was the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what it says. Uh, we don't know what that looked like. Um, apparently, we don't have access to that anymore, so it's not any fruit that we would be aware of. Um, could it have been an apple. Yeah, I mean, technically, I guess it could have been, but we. The no. text doesn't say. um, And another one is, you know, around Christmas time, you know, you'll see lots of nativity scenes out. And they've got, you know, Mary and Joseph and Jesus Jesus in, you know, this barn, essentially. And uh, you've got the shepherds there, and you've also got the wise men in there. But when we read the biblical text, did the wise men come to the stable where Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus were?
0: No, no, they
2: did. No, in Matthew two, it says they came to the house where the child was, and then they worshiped him. And it seems likely from the text that was later on. So again, there's times where people, we just get ideas in our heads or we hear people say things or we read it in a commentary or hear it from a preacher. And we assume they must know what they're talking about. So that must be the way it happened. eBay, the apple, the wise men came to the stable And then that kind of sticks in our heads and we forget, did we read that in the Bible or did we hear it somewhere else?
3: Let me share an illustration uh, also back from Genesis 2. Uh, There was a lady I was studying with, oh, this is back uh, years ago in South Carolina. And she had gone to church at this place and she let me listen to the tape recording of one of his lessons. The lesson was, 10 things that will happen before Jesus returns. And he went, or maybe this was just at the end of a lesson because he hurried through it. And he's going through and he's listing something about China and the United Nations and various other things that have to happen before the return of Christ. And the, the phrase you used, Stephen, when you said they think they know what they're talking about, I went through this text with her that I'm about to mention, and we can look at it together. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bible, the text is going to be Genesis chapter 2, verse 11. Genesis or verse 12. Yeah. Um, Genesis 2, 11, and 12. And after we looked at it, she said, you know, she used to wonder because when she would look at the verses, it didn't seem to make sense, but she thought, I just thought, you know, he knew more than I did, and he knew what he was talking about. (laughs) So, by the way, this is the same preacher who one day decided they did not give enough money and had the deacons close the doors and lock them so that nobody could get out of the building until they gave more. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, here we go. He's running quickly through a list of things that must happen before, shortly before the return of Christ. Something with China, something with the United Nations, and massive gold deposits will be discovered in Israel shortly before the return of Christ. Genesis 2, verse 11
1: and 12. Would you yes. like me to read? Oh, Okay.
2: Yeah, Genesis two eleven. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. Where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, bedelum and onyx stone are there.
1: Now,
3: his claim was that massive gold deposits would be discovered in Israel shortly before the return of Christ. Of those, the constituent parts of his claim, how many do you see here in the text?
1: Hey, let's see. Uh, I don't see massive. I don't see Israel. I don't see discovered. I don't see return. And I don't see Christ. Gold. I, I see, see gold. Gold. <laughs> gold. There is gold, and so that is a flagrant
3: example of the type of thing that actually happens a lot.
0: Well, wait a minute! Wait a minute! The gold is found in the land of Havilah. Who's that? It's where the gold is. Yeah, but who is who? Who is he descended from, Havilah?
3: I don't know that Havilah is a person.
1: So Havilah is is a place. And here's what you guys don't know. If you look at the meaning of the word Habilah in Hebrew, are you ready for this? I think so. If you look at the meaning of the word in Hebrew, it still doesn't tell you that.
0: (laughs) Uh, But but, Habilah is the son of Cush.
2: Yes, that's right. Later in Genesis 10, it will talk about Cush has Seba and Havilah, Sabta, and other other sons. But the, uh, yeah,
3: mm-hmm. but the general point being, there, there's an entirely way too much speculation that goes on in Bible study, and then adamant claims about it, and dogmatic claims. I was listening to the radio the other day, and the fellow's, talking about a biblical story, he threw in extra details He said, that is precisely what happened. Uh, It says who? Uh, And so really watch out for speculation.
1: And there there, there are doctrines that that become the focal point of various sects that arise out of nothing but sheer speculation, and yet it comes to define this sect. That's what they're about, and they hold on to those things because... Because those uh, those conclusions set them apart from everybody else, and they can kind of show this as, hey, this is what we know that nobody else knows, and therefore we have the truth, you know, that kind of thing. But it's based on nothing but speculation. Like so, what day you said,
0: what? Go ahead, Drew. I like what you said before. One of you said, I think it was Jeff, that I have a hunch, I think, and this may be speculation, so that when you're saying something, you recognize that it's not 100% sure, but this is what you're thinking but it's not for sure. And that's why we call this program Bible Quest, because we're on a quest to find out what the Bible says. And I really appreciate Stephen stays on top of it more than more than myself. Let's go and see what the scripture says. Yes. And that's what we need to do. What does the scripture say? Go ahead now, I'm sorry.
3: And some scriptures tell us emphatically exactly what happened or something else. And some passages tell us generally uh, uh, about something, and we don't know all the details, and we don't need to uh, know a lot of the details that we're not told about. All
2: right, let's... And real quick, on on this just point of speculation, is it's so important, if we are ever in a position to present the Word of God, that we are very careful, very careful to state what the text states. Yes. And if there's something that we're not sure about, maybe we can say, well, I think it may be this, and here's why I think it. Right. But to say, I'm not sure. The text doesn't say for sure. And to let that be that. Because it's easy once you state something emphatically yeah. for you to believe it and for the people you hear to believe it. it. It's a lot easier to believe what you're told. And this is also true when you're listening to a sermon. Yes. Even somebody that you respect and somebody that has made some other very good points, they can still be wrong. And they can make false assumptions about the text. That's true for me too. I remember one time I was teaching a, a, a teen Bible study and there was a younger kid who was there. I was making a point out of the book of Zechariah and I, I just misread the text and started making a point. And this little kid says, Hey, Mr. Stephen, I think it says this in the text. And I like, look back. Oh, and I had to backpedal in the middle of teaching this young people's class. But I was grateful for that. I mean, here I am, supposed to be the teacher, and I just assumed I knew what it was talking about, and I, I I needed that.
3: When I was in college, I was teaching a class, and I'd heard the phrase, "Covetousness is idolatry." I'd not noticed it's in Colossians. And I was waxing eloquent about how, no, 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 covetousness is not idolatry. Idolatry is this specific sin over here. Uh, covetousness is, is a sin, but it's a different thing. It's not idolatry. And after I got down to Paul, I said, I hear what you're saying, but what about this passage in Colossus for Paul said covetousness is idolatry?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is. Um, you, you, you,
0: know.
1: you, you, you could say, well, you're just speculating. <laughs> <laughs> Until he shows you the word of God. And now, oh, well, no, that's not speculation. That,
3: that's That's what's got to be uh, fundamental and, and that's, that's the authority
1: alright
3: let's talk about commentaries for a minute um, I imagine most of us uh, at times have used commentaries and probably have found some commentaries beneficial but I tell you what um, notice in our caller's question they said I looked it up and scholars say this is so so what I want us to think about is where we should look to when we are looking something up. Well, and, and so Jeff, what do you have behind there? You got some commentaries? Back well, I, was,
1: I wasn't quite ready with it, but I'll tell you what I was going to do here. I just, I just grabbed a random commentary off my shelf. here. Right. A bunch of commentaries here. And uh, let's see if I just spot one of these on this page here. Um, this commentary will Cite a passage and then talk about what it means, what it doesn't mean. And often it'll say something like, not this or that interpretation as so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and and -and and -and so-and-so say, nor this other interpretation as so-and-so and and -and so-and-so say, but this interpretation as so-and-so says. And all of those so-and-so's are other commentators, other writers of commentaries. In other words, for a given passage, you can find commentaries that'll say this. You can have commentaries that'll say that. And you'll find commentaries that'll say this other thing. and, And then you'll get another commentary, and he just goes through and talks about all the different things the commentaries say. So what that tells you is...
0: Are they all scholars doing that, Jeff? Well,
1: yes, yes. Scholars can disagree, and scholars can be wrong. And obviously some of them are. And so what we have to do is is say the Bible is the, is the authority and I'm going to have to understand the Bible within its context. And regardless of what the commentators say, I keep in mind they can be wrong. And I, I, I'm coming back to the source, the, the word of God itself.
3: So the problem can be illustrated like this. Let's imagine you're teaching a Bible class and in the Bible class, You've got brother A, brother B, brother C, and brother D. Each of these brothers at home has a Bible and his favorite set of commentaries. You're studying certain passage, Matthew, Romans, Galatians, whatever. Brother A has been home and he had his Bible and what did he have open? His commentary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Brother B has a different set of commentaries. He had his Bible, and what did he have open? His commentary. C likewise, D likewise. You get to class, and you say, okay, what does this mean here in verse 13? Brother A raises his hand. What is he likely going to say? Commentary he read. Brother B disagrees. What is he likely going to say?
2: My commentary
3: said... Whereas Brother C and on. And, and you, you see the problem here. the All four of these men would realize that the commentaries are not inspired. It's the text that's inspired. But each of them have done what? Bought into their commentary. And the danger is that I, I really don't look at commentaries much. Um, seldom. I'll go a long time without looking at commentary at all. But... If you do, if you look at a commentary like this, if you, here's your text, you're like, Oh, I wonder what that means. And then you grab your commentary and it says, like Jeff said, well, not, not brother A, not brother B, not brother C, it's D. Oh, okay. It's D. Well, what have you done? You haven't actually focused on the text to see what it says itself. You jumped to the other. It reminds me of the parable of the sower, where the word lands, and before it can get implanted or anything, a bird comes and does what with it? Eats it up. Yeah. How many of you have been in a study with somebody, and instead of just a Bible, they had a study Bible? Yeah. And study Bibles tend to do what? What, what does a page on a study Bible look like?
2: It's got like this little bit of biblical text up at the top, and then like most of the page is like all the commentator's notes. that, yeah. that they yeah. can...
3: And so if you're explaining, if you've called my, if I'm studying with you and I've got one of these study Bibles and I've got various denominational misunderstandings, and you're going over Galatians 5, 4, or Acts two thirty eight or some other passage with me, and you say, well, take a look at this passage and read it. And I open my Bible and I read the text You see my eyes get big because I see what it says. What do they
2: immediately do? Jump down and read the notes.
3: Yeah. And the notes say what?
2: That can't be what this passage means.
3: (laughs) And it's like, boom, there was the bird. There was the seed. It hit the ground and the bird goes, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, I did an exercise recently where we took a fairly simple, it was a passage sometimes confuses people, but if you look at the context, it's easy as pie. I took a fairly simple text like that that had been asked about and I wrote down different explanations of the text and I may try to make them sound convincing and I passed them around and I let people know you might get different answers and might not all be right. I put some in the middle. I said, if you don't like your answer, you can trade it for one of the ones in the middle almost everybody liked their answer. and so but they were all smoke screens and red herrings they talked about the greek word or this idea or that or the other on a few of the people piece of paper i just put read the text. <laughs> and if you read the text and just focused on like the verse before and the verse after and the verse itself boom now when somebody pointed that out to the class then fortunately everybody gave up their other ideas. And realize, oh, yeah, that makes sense, because they saw it from the text. But it illustrates the importance of beginning with the biblical text. You know, when you're looking at the text, don't start with reaching for the commentary. Start with the biblical text. Read the context of the biblical text. Does, that, really, later
0: on, does that Does that have any relationship to when uh, I forgot who said it, Paul said it, that they'll go after things that uh, tickle their ears, and they'll bring teachers to themselves that will satisfy what their wants. So in other words, we start with the preposition or the, or the concept that we want, and then we go get the information that supports our concept.
3: It certainly can. Uh, let's, let's read that from second Timothy three. Somebody start for us in first. Well, I've got it here. Second Timothy three, verse 13, beginning evil men and imposters will wax worse and worse And it describes two categories with deception. What are the two categories?
2: Deceiving and being deceived.
3: Yeah. Any comments
1: on that before? Go ahead. Well, it's just interesting that there are people who are deceiving others, and they're just outright frauds. And then there are other people who are deceiving others, but they themselves are so utterly deceived, they don't realize they're deceiving others. Yeah,
3: yeah. And does this verse say that problem was going to go away, or was it was going to get worse?
0: Repeat the reference again, there, Scott.
3: Second Timothy three verse
0: thirteen.
3: Yep. Evil men and impostors impast- will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you remain in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a baby you have known the sacred writings, <laughs> which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Every scripture inspired of God is also profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, furnished completely unto every good work. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus. We're now in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Next chapter, same continued thought. I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, who shall judge the living and the dead by his appearing in kingdom. Preach the what? The word. Be urgent in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? Or, or what does he say next? Verse 3
2: The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Happens a lot.
0: All the time. Uh, so,
3: and, and, and by the way, uh, this this uh, webcast, same thing. You know, don't tune into this and say, "Well, you know, I heard those guys say it's this, so that must be what it is." You know, your authority needs to be where in the scripture. Yeah, and so if you hear something, if you're tuning in, we appreciate your tuning in. We appreciate your having a readiness to listen but then please do what the Bereans did. Paul showed up. They don't know who Paul is. Paul's saying some things they haven't heard before, and they were willing to listen, but the Bible commends them because after being willing to listen, they were also doing what?
0: Going back to the scriptures to see if these things are so.
1: Yeah, Acts 17, verse 11. So just to illustrate, I I I pulled that commentary off the shelf a few minutes ago, and, and then you... Kind of went to me before I had a chance to look at it, but it t- didn't take me long to come up with an example of what I. Oh, said. good. Commentaries are, are various men's opinions about what a text says, and even if he's a scholar, he can be wrong, and that's evident because you'll find very well-respected scholars who will say this, and then very well-respected scholars who will say that. This is maybe not the most uh, profound passage to to use as an example, but it's from First Corinthians, the eleventh chapter and verse 16, where Paul says, we have no such custom. And this is Alford, uh, who was a commentator in the 1800s, and he's commenting on the meaning of such custom. And here's what he says. The best modern commentators, for example, and he names some, Meyer and DeWitt, agree with Chrysostom in understanding this, the such custom, to be such that, the custom of being contentious or quarreling or opposing. And then he also says Ambrose and Beza and Calvin and Estius and others agree with this. But then he says, but surely it would be very unlikely, and then just to summarize, that's correct. And he offers a different idea, and he says that what he thinks it is, the such custom, is women praying uncovered. And uh, so that, that's just an example. And then he gives examples of people who agree with him, Theodoric, Grotius, Michaelis, and so on. You're going to find that I didn't have to turn lot. I think I turned to the third opening that I found in there and spotted an example of this. When you, when you have a commentator who says, here's what he thinks it is, you can find other commentators who will say they think it's something else.
3: Yeah. And you might find in your commentaries some actual good reasons in scriptural reference that help you decide which it is. But if you're beginning with the assumption that, oh, that guy wrote a commentary, so he knows what it is, you're
1: off-base. That's deep. a good point. I'm not trying to say that there's no value in looking at a commentary. I, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. And in this very example that I just mentioned, this writer goes through it and he gives his reasons why he thinks the one view is better than the other view. So he doesn't just say, "Well, those guys think that, and these guys think this, and I agree with these guys." He does give his reasons, but finally, it's going to be up to you to study the text yeah. and, and and if he has some insight as he explains his reasons that helps you see, "Oh yes, that makes sense. That fits the context good, but but you have to come to the text with a love for the text that not all of these commentators have had for a love with a love for truth that not all of these commentators have had.
2: True. Stephen? A couple of things on that. One helpful quote that I've heard with the use of commentaries or even just listen to various preachers or you know what your preacher might say from the pulpit is it's important to think for ourselves but not by ourselves. And the balance there is we need to think by reading the text, and then think for ourselves about the text. But once we've looked at the biblical text, start with the text. What in the context? What has that author said in other places that might shed light on the meaning of that passage? But once you've kind of come to what you think it is, sometimes it is helpful to think, well, what has this other careful Bible student thought about it? What has this other careful Bible student? And sometimes you can intentionally go find people that disagree with you. And say, well, what counter arguments are there? You know, how can we think through, through this? But to think by ourselves, excuse me, to think for ourselves, but not by ourselves, I think is a helpful way to, to sum that up. But let me say something else. Our culture right now is enamored with scholarship. If somebody has a bunch of abbreviations after their name, oh, they must just know all this stuff. Um, and, and it's kind of scary. Um, It almost comes comes, comes kind of this priesthood of like, oh, these are the scholars, and they are the ones who tell us how to think, whether whether it's in the realm of science or whether that's in the realm of religious studies. And we just have to be so careful not to do the same thing the church at Corinth did, where we become personality-focused. And there are these commentators that we look up to, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of, you know, it's easy to get into kind of a party mindset whereas we just need to be of Christ. And how do we be of Christ? We come back to his word and what his apostles taught.
3: And one, one final word for me is that there's also a personality that probably y'all have seen and noticed, and it's the type of person and there are writers who aim for this type of person as well, I suppose, who is looking for something novel and sensational. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They can take pride of, they kind of like the Gnostics. Oh, I know that what this actually is, is that it may be, it may be shocking. It may be novel. It may, but it's, and a lot of, a lot of that, gets in in pride.
1: That's a good point. And so Stephen, going back to your thing about people with letters after their name. So what you're saying then is if I have John Doe says this, but Jim Doe DVM says that, I shouldn't just automatically assume Jim Doe DVM is correct in his interpretation of the scripture. He, he may
3: just work for the DMV and
2: be dyslexic. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: right.
2: Yes, that, that's correct. Jeff it is, uh, j- just because somebody uh, has those letters after the name, it doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Now there's times where if somebody studied the subject, I want to hear what they have to say about it. That doesn't mean you discredit them automatically either, but uh, they could just work for the DMV as well. So
1: <laughs> doctor of veterinary medicine.
0: <laughs> all right, guys, we're running out of time. It's uh, time to, to close the program out. Thank you very much for all of your uh, input and uh, observations and also sticking with the scriptures on what the scripture says. Any other points before we close out? Thank you, everyone, for joining us on uh, BibleQuest.tv. We look forward to seeing you next week. And anyone that's watching or listening to us on the podcast, we invite you to come to BibleQuest.tv and put in your questions there, at the form there, and we'll get to your comments and questions as well. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week. See you next time.